Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Father, we come to you. Father, we, we come to you with, with this, with, with your holy word, because your word is true and your word is power and your word is full of grace and conviction. God, I ask that you, you, Lord, you are the teacher. You're the author of this word. So quicken our hearts, quicken our minds, speak to each one of us. Father, we pray for a fresh kindling of your spirit in each of us this morning. As we have come here, we are yielded to you. We want, we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I'm so excited about this study. It seems like every week we get applications and then we get more applications and more applications. And today we are looking in Acts 6 and 7 and how Stephen, stoned to death of the Jewish council, receives a standing welcome into heaven by Jesus. Just think about that. And one thing that the Lord has brought to my mind so much during this study is these are not the Romans persecuting Stephen and Peter. This is not the Romans. This is their fellow man. This is their fellow man. And so, sweet friends, we may need to be aware and be prepared that it may even be some in the churches today some who call themselves followers, who we may one day be standing up and speaking what we understand the truth to be and them not receiving it, just as we are seeing in our study of Acts. Could that be possible? Yes, it can be, because Jesus tells us that the devil sows tears the enemy, his enemies, among the wheat. And we'll be looking at this a little bit later. Your listening guide is going to help you as we go through our study this morning. We're going to be looking at Jesus' three-phase expansion of Christianity that he announced in Acts 1-8. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and he, we have seen that. The suffering and the persecution have now begun. Then he said it will be in all Judea and Samaria, and after this study of this week, the, the disciples are going to start spreading, and then he says it will go into the whole world. But it begins here. In Acts 6 1, your very first point is that we are going to see that disputes among believers is not new and will continue until we are in heaven due to our sin nature and Satan's influence. And we saw Satan's influence even in the church in Acts 5 last week. If you read with me, beginning in Acts 6, 1, and we won't have time to read every verse today, but we'll look at some of these. We see in Acts 6, 1, it says, Now at this time, while the church had been thriving, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. These were the Jews from Greece, the Greek Jews from the outlying area from the immediate part of Jerusalem against the native Jews, those who lived in Jerusalem. 
because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So we have a conflict in the body of Christ, right? And I really want us to pay attention to this first point, that disputes will continue. They are not new. Do you remember when the disciples even argued in front of Jesus about who would be greatest? That's your reference in Luke 22, 24. So we should be surprised when there are conflicts in the church. Instead, we need to handle them in the way that we see outlined in Acts 6. You know what happened? The twelve summoned the congregation, and they said it's not desirable to neglect the word of God. They are not demeaning the ministry of serving the widows, but they had different callings. And again, these are different callings that God has for us, are different gifts. They say that they will devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I want us to pay very close attention here to verse 5, because it says... Uh, that, I'm sorry, verse 3, it said, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Full of the Spirit. Friends, are we making sure in our churches that the people who are selected, if we have any say in it, that the people we select to be teachers, to be, to be deacons, to be elders, whatever, that at least they are seeking to be full of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm not full of the Holy Spirit all of the time, but those are the people that God has shown us needs to be in charge or to be in positions of service, to be serving as deacons. This is a, this is a question we need to think about and ponder. It says in verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full, and we keep seeing this word full. You may want to circle this word full. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and then it names the others. It's interesting because the people they chose are all Greek Hellenistic Jews. So they chose those who had been complaining about the problem, and they selected them to be able to address the very issue, which there is so much wisdom in that. Verse 6, they brought before the apostle, they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. And this was a sign of transference of authority. It was a sign of commissioning them to the work that they were going to do. There was nothing magic in it. It was a it was a sign, it was an outward expression of giving them that authority to take that position in the church. Do you notice how many times we're seeing the word praying? Praying, praying. Praying, praying, and again, we're seeing another foundational principle that we must make sure that we are doing in our churches, in our groups, in our gatherings. Prayer is central. So let's look and let's see that church growth and enemy influence, your second point, increase side by side. This is the parable that Jesus called in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. We are going to see this. But rather than complaining our third point to one another, we are to go to the person with whom we have a complaint after first examining ourselves. Jesus says, why do you look at the log in your brother's eye? I mean, I'm sorry, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Sometimes we may think we have a complaint 
a reason for a dispute, but we might need to take the log out of our own eye first. That's in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And 18 through 15 through 17 is our uh, word from the Lord on what to do if we have a problem with somebody. We are to examine ourselves, and then we are to go individually to that person first. So read those verses if you are having an issue or a problem with somebody. Our fourth point that we see in verses 2 through 5 is that God's provision for his church is faithful leaders, full of, and this word full of means thoroughly permeated with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, the word full that we are looking at in these chapters means thoroughly permeated with. Say that with me. Thoroughly permeated with. Yes. It does not mean that we show up at church on Sundays and sing a few hymns and feel full of the Holy Spirit. It means that when we leave, when we go home, when we're going through our day, when we're relating to our spouses or our children, our lives can be and are to be permeated, full, permeated. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be going through every part of us. So the fifth thing that we see in verses 6 through 7, and I've mentioned this, is prayer is first and foundational. So the word spreading and people coming to faith in Christ. And in verses 8 through 15, we are going to see that believers can be permeated with the Spirit's words and light, even when speaking to apostle people. Would you read this sixth point with me? Believers can be permeated with the Spirit's words and light when speaking to apostle people. Let's reread it and say, I can be permeated, all right, out loud. I can be permeated with the Spirit's words and light when speaking to hostile people. Let's read this in verse 8. He's thinking full of grace and power, full, permeated with grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the free men, this was one of the Greek synagogues. They had like over 400 synagogues in Jerusalem. Of course, they had the main temple, but then they had individual synagogues. And this was a smaller synagogue of Greek people, Greek Jews. And it said, including both Syrians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, this word argued doesn't mean hostile uh, confrontation. This word argued in this passage, it means that they were discussing. They were disputing. They were, they were arguing in the sense of, but this can't mean this, but it does. But it wasn't hostile at this point. But they were discussing it. And we will see, obviously, in a few moments that they did not agree with it. Now, Stephen's name comes from the Greek word stephanopos, which means crown. And so we are going to see later that Stephen received the crown of life, true to his name as he was martyred for Christ. But his name is a beautiful name as he reflected the Lord. And it says in verse 10, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
You know how Mike told you last week that I prayed Philippians 3.10, that I would know Christ, and that I would know the power of his resurrection. And finally, I prayed and the fellowship of his suffering, that I would know it. As, as we read these passages, and as we see the national teeth and the hostility increase and the anger in people's faces, so much that they covered their ears because they didn't want to hear what Stephen was saying and then they stoned him. I had never been able to understand what that might look like, what that might seem like, until I left class last Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> and after praying and very sincerely talking to the Lord again about it and saying, Lord, I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. I was at a store and I saw a lady that I had not seen in 25 years, probably. And I, I said, hello. I'm going to make up her name. Hello, Sarah. And she looked at me and she said, hello, Debbie. And immediately after that, she got in my face. I have not seen this lady in 25 years, 20, 25 years. Not had a conversation with her or anything. She got in my face up close, and she pointed her finger and said, Stop looking at my imperfections. <laughs> and I just was quizzical. I didn't have an idea what she was talking about. And she said, Look at me. And so, and she, and she said, Look at me right here. And I was trying real hard to make my eyeballs go where she wanted me. <laughs> I mean, I really did. I was like. And I said, I'm, I wasn't looking at your imperfections. I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, yes, you do. And she started to turn around and she goes, it's all about Debbie Williams. And I have no clue what this lady was talking about. But all I could feel in my heart was love for her. I wasn't shaking. I'm walking right now to be telling you this story. <laughs> but I felt nothing in my heart but peace and love. God gave me the opportunity to experience peace and calmness and love for somebody who was hostile toward me. I turned around and started walking off, and I said, I hope you feel better. And I didn't know why I said that, and I thought to myself, why did I say that? Uh, Keith told me later, maybe it was, I hope she felt better after getting something off her chest. But I didn't say that with that intention. It was just words that came out of my mouth. But as, as I said, I hope you feel better, and I turned around and started walking off, she said, the only way I feel better is that I'll never see you again. And as I got in the car and was trying to process and understand what had happened, I realized that if she had had a rock in her hand, she could have thrown it at me. I've never in my life had anybody have that much hate and anger. I've never been around anybody with that much hate and anger, and I can't even imitate her well because I don't have the hate and anger in me. 
But she was filled with venom and hate and anger toward me. And if she had had a rock, she easily could have thrown it. It helped me understand. And I thanked the Lord for helping me understand because I never felt anything for her but love. So when we read in these passages about Stephen, we know it wasn't Stephen in and of himself. And that's what the scriptures keep saying. Stephen, full of the Spirit. Say those words with me. Full of the Spirit. Permeated by the Spirit. That is why Peter was, I'm, I'm sorry, Stephen, was able to say the words he said and they weren't able to cope with the with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking to say. And so they had to resort, we see in verses 11 and following, they had to resort to inducing false lies about him and bringing forth false witnesses and dragging him away before the council and, and, and saying lies about him. Verse 13, they said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. And if you pay attention, or paid attention in your studies, Stephen's defense, he talks about the law and the prophets and the temple. So he addresses these very charges that have been brought up uh, to him as horrible accusations. Verse 15, verse 15, is it what we all want? It says, fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Isn't that wonderful? Do you just love that? We had several leaders and leaders meeting meetings say, oh, I wish that my face could look like the face of an angel. Do you wish your face could look like the face of an angel? Me too. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But we are going to keep seeing Stephen's face, Stephen's countenance, in contrast to these angry religious leaders. And the reason that Stephen's countenance and face are able to be like they are is because he's keeping his gaze on his Lord. He's keeping his gaze on the Lord. And so he is reflecting his gaze. We'll look at this a little bit more in a minute. We see in chapter 7, 1, 3, 53, that believers are to speak truth to unbelievers. And that's what he did. We're going to go in uh, 7, 54, and we're going to see how they were cut to the quick. As we look at this passage, it is just such an incredible, creative outline and history that Stephen goes through. And if we know it's by the mouth, by the words of the Lord. And he said to me, hear me, brethren and fathers. And then he begins with Abraham in verses 2 through 8. And he says that Abraham obeyed God and became the father of Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve patriarchs. Then in verses 9 through 16, he says, God elevated Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers. In verses 17 through 34, he says that God elevated Moses as a deliverer of his brethren who had previously rejected him. Are we hearing the word rejected, rejected, ignored, ignored, rejected? And you know the big conclusion he's going to come to that they, in like manner, rejected the Lord's Savior to them. It's a masterful documentation. And we see here in verse 9, 
Joseph's brothers were jealous of him because of the dream Joseph had, the dream that was going to come true, right? And in verse 17, in this passage through 35, this Moses who made his own. Friends, did you catch how in verse 25, let's read this. It says in verse 25, he supposed, Moses, that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. So, so God had already put in Moses' heart, do you understand this? God had already put in Moses' heart that he was to be their deliverer because Moses is thinking, 40 years before he delivered them, Moses is thinking, he supposed his brother, brother understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. This is 40 years before it happened. And now Moses is delayed in delivering them for 40 years because they ignored him and rejected him. Have you ever thought about that? They could have been delivered from Egyptian bondage 40 years earlier, but they rejected him. As we see, he continues speaking truth. And he says in verses uh, 39 through 43, our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to God and they turned to idols, although they had the law that you're accusing me of ignoring. And then he said in verses 44 through 50, Moses built a tabernacle in the wilderness. Then he goes on and speaks of Joshua and David and how Solomon was the one who finally built the temple of God. But I love this. It says, our fathers, in verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. And then it says in verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him because they charged him with speaking against the temple, the holy place, and the law. And then he, 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 he helps them understand by the grace of God. Verse 48, however, the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet said, verse 49, heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, you men, uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. He is, he is a perfect closing argument if he was in court, which he is in court. The council is his court. You know, I've thought about it so many times. Stephen, that morning, wakes up, yawns, stretches, gets out of bed, washes, puts on his clothes, Praise the Lord. Did he know that day what was going to happen before him? No. No. But he was already filled up, full of the Spirit, and so he was not disarmed. He spoke the truth to a hostile people, not worrying about the consequence. So we are to speak the truth 
In our eighth point, we see is cut to the quick. Unbelievers often hate believers. And if you've been around a person who has been hostile to you because of your faith, because of what you do, because of your church commitments, then you certainly understand that unbelievers often hate believers and Jesus warned. All those verses that I have for you on the overhead are Jesus warning. You will be hated. You will be hated. You will be hated on my account. It says in um, verse 54, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. I brought this apple here. Some of you may not be able to see it, but I brought this apple because in my research, the Greek word here in phrase where it says cut to the quick, it doesn't mean that they were pricked in their heart. Have you ever said, oh, I really felt pricked in my heart? I'll speak to that person. Well, that's a little prick. Okay? You were pricked in your heart. That's not what happened in this moment. When he charges them and he draws this incredible conclusion that just as their fathers had ignored Joseph, Moses, whom he had sent to them, and now Jesus, the Holy Righteous One, it says they were cut to the core. They were cut to the core. Cut. Oh, oh, cut. You cut me, and I'm going to bleed you. Cut me, and I'm going to scream out at you. You cut me, and I'm going to drag you out of town and kill you and shut you up. And that's what they did. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the point and they began, they the treated them. But, say that word with me, but, but, this is you. This is you. This is what we are to do. Because we are not reflecting the face of those in front of us. We are reflecting the face of our Lord. Cut to the quick, but being full of the Holy Spirit, being permeated with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit permeating through him. He gazed intently into heaven. Say that with me. He gazed intently into heaven. When the devil comes at you, when somebody comes at you in anger, when the pressures and the storms of life come at you, your mode of operating is to gaze intently into heaven. And gazing intently into heaven. He saw the glory of God. <laughs> Can you imagine? They are But he's not looking at them. His eyes are on the Lord and, and, and he sees, he sees the glory of God. And he's and Jesus standing at the right hand of him. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. He saw it with his eyes. That's why he's telling us. And then in case we don't get it, verse 56 repeats it. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they cried with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning him as he called on the Lord. That's what we do. We gaze intently into heaven. We call on the Lord. We focus on the Lord's glory. His is a pattern for us. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with the Lord loud voice, imitating Christ, his Lord, in all of this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. All along. Permeated with the Spirit and the blood of Stephen watered the seed of the words that he spoke. It's important for us to know that believers can know Christ's presence and Christ's pleasure. Say that with me out loud. Believers can know Christ's presence and Christ's pleasure. How many of you could say, I have at times felt the presence of the Lord? Maybe it was when a spouse died. Maybe it was when you were in the operating room. Maybe it was when you were alone. Have you ever sensed the presence of the Lord? Have you sensed his pleasure of you? Because right now we are seeing the Lord standing. He rises. Because the Lord is seated in the right hand of God. He rises. He rises to his feet to receive Stephen. He's saying, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. You're coming. You know, when our grandchildren come to visit, Keith and I'll wait, or Linda, or Cindy, or anybody, and, and, and I'll wait. Well, actually, not anybody. You're coming for dinner. I wait till I hear the doorbell, and you come in at my front door. But with my grandchildren, I hear them coming. I jump up, or I stop what I'm doing in the kitchen. Again, you're right, not your head. And I run to them. I've done it since, since they were little bitty. Like when their parents used to carry them, I would run to them. Hi, I'm so glad to see you. I love you. And to this day, my grandkids know when they come in that back door, I'm going to be coming and running and meeting them with my arms open wide saying, Hi, you're here. I love you. Jesus was, he didn't just sit there. Come on up, Stephen. I'm here. No, he rose to his feet to welcome them. And he's going to do the same thing with you. He's going to do the same thing with you. Christ was pleased with Stephen. There, there have only been, I, I thought of this because a friend of mine who's in the Christian ministry called this weekend, and she said, oh, Debbie, and I was asking her about an occasion that she had been nervous about and had to do with a lot of issues, and she had been concerned about it. I've been praying for her, and she said, oh, Debbie, she said, I just felt God's pleasure the whole weekend instead of what she was concerned might happen with Satan's attacks. And she said, have you ever felt God's pleasure? And I said, yes. 
And it hadn't dawned on me until it was a couple of years ago and something had happened. And I been going through a hard time of trying to serve the Lord well and, and I'd gone back home and knelt and, and, and been with the Lord and prayed and all of a sudden it just dawned on me. He's pleased with me. He's pleased with me. And I ran up on the front porch and I was like, Lord, you're pleased with me. I'm so excited that you're pleased with me. I knew he was pleased with me. Oh, it just made me so happy that, that I pleased him. That I sensed not just his presence, I sensed that he was pleased with me. Stephen felt that more than he felt the stones. You can know Christ's presence and you can also know that Christ is pleased with you. If you would like to learn more about that, I wrote one of my 365 days of praise uh, on this topic, and all you have to do is go to the 365 days of praise. I tested it to make sure in the search bar, you can put the word please, or how you can please God. Just put the word please, and I'll bring up some information that I don't have time to share today. Our tenth point is believers permeated with the fullness of the Holy Spirit are transformed into Christ's image as we gaze, gaze intently on his glory. And that's how it happens. Secondary Corinthians 3.18, we all with an unknown place beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed even as the Lord from the Spirit. Gaze, 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 gaze. Our final two points, 11. The crown of life is rewarded to martyrs. His blood waters the seed of truth and unbelievers. Revelation 2.10. We will receive the crown of life. And 12. Our witness and words are not only for unbelievers, but also for believers to hear and be encouraged. Because of what Stephen vocalized out loud, that he was experiencing, we are encouraged by it, aren't we? Talk. Talk. Yes. Talk. Say it. Begin learning to speak more of your faith walk, not just witnessing to unbelievers, but with believers, because we learn from one another. As we look, I want to close with this and ask, are we permeated a globe with the Holy Spirit and pouring out of us. Are we Christ's witnesses to others? Check yourself. The Holy Spirit can be lied to, we saw last week. Put to the test, we saw last week. Resisted, we see this week. The Holy Spirit's not going to be permeating through us if we are lying, putting to the test, or resisting Him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, quenched, insulted, and provoked. If we are not experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we need to ask ourselves and check ourselves. Paul writes this to Timothy and he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Kindle afresh. This means, Timothy, you can't be passive. Christian sister, you cannot be passive. I cannot be passive and expect the effects of our spiritual gifts to just happen. Keep fanning the flame. Keep fanning the to flame the coal which is already glowing. It is your responsibility to keep rekindling your spiritual gift. It is by choice, not chance, that the believer is filled with the Spirit. And so I ask, is the Holy Spirit quenched, breathed in us, in there, capable 
but grieved? Or are you <coughs> the glow? Are you a glow with the Spirit? Romans 12 1 says, Be a glow. Be a glow. They saw his face like the face of an angel. Sister, we are to be a glow. You can't please Jesus as Stephen did. Go. Light. Father, thank you for the witness, the words of Stephen. Oh, Lord, you're so pleased with him. I want you to be pleased with me. If you want the Lord to be pleased with you, would you solemnly just pray that right now? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.